0: When you, when you try to literalize uh, symbols, and I'm going to say a word about this because it, it's important to me. When I say literalize symbols, what I mean is a lot of folks take the book of Revelation and they try to take a symbol that's meant to be a symbol that points to something literal, all right? It, the, the symbol stands for someone or something, some event that has happened or that is going to happen, right? But when you try to take the symbol itself and make it literal, you end up with a problem. Right? Because what we've been looking at here uh, over the last couple of weeks uh, is what will go on on planet Earth during what we call the very last period of time before the end comes. I remind you of this, but I'll say it again. God's watch, it, it doesn't say it's close to 10. It says there's a time and a time and a half a time, right? That's God's clock. And so God's clock says there, there was a time. When was that? Old Testament period. And there is a time. When is that? Right now, New Testament period. And a half a time is that point in history where God begins to un, unleash or loosen his authority that he has over both what's going on in nature as well as what's going on supernaturally in the world of of angels, including fallen angels, right? So, um, when you get to that half a time, what we begin to see is, is is God takes and loosens, all right? He loosens his authority over nature in such a way that natural catastrophes begin to occur in ways that they never had before, highly, highly destructive. Um, you know, I was watching. The news last night and they took drones and they flew over California and you can see what the drought has done in California and you know just the ravines and you think to yourself man um, what are you guys in California going to do well human beings try to fix the problem right so they went out and they they hired these people to make these these little plastic balls right? And um, now it's, it's new law in California. They shoot all these balls on into the reservoirs and they, they basically create shade, you know, so that they can reserve some of the water so the water did not evaporate. I look at that stuff and it makes me laugh. I'm like, <laughs> all right, it's man trying to do what? We're going to fix the problem. Yeah, you can probably stop some of that stuff from evaporating, but guess what? Half a time comes, kiss your balls goodbye. I had to say it, all right? I mean, (laughs) someone has to put it out there the way it is, right? Because that's what's going on. So that's what I'm talking about is that half a time is God going, I'm unleashing nature in a way I never had before, okay? In the supernatural realm, Coming back to this literalization, you have demons. Well, what do they look like? Well, here you have this bug, right? It looks like a locust, except it has the hair of women, it has the face of a man, has the stinging tail, you know, of a scorpion, it's flying around, and it's stinging people. Well, you read these books that evangelicals write, and they're trying to make this bug fly around. I'm thinking, that is ridiculous. It is not a bug, right? It's a symbol that teaches you something about how demons will be unleashed right during that half a time period and what we've seen so far is we've seen the blowing of these trumpets and the unleashing of these angels fallen angels demons and for a period of that half a time they torment men and then for another period of that half a time they kill men and i always say to people right now a demon cannot kill you it has no authority whatsoever to do that in that last period of time It's unleashed to kill those who are not sealed by God, those who do not have the Holy Spirit. They're not believers. And the purpose of that is what? To bring people to repentance. Okay? Last week, the words that we read that that really just grab hold of you more than any other are these words, and they did not repent. Right? So you have God, and he's, he's trying just to break these people. Break them. And they did not repent. We see it to this day. I see folks that are so stubborn in their sin or so trapped in it that they just resist the Spirit of God, push him away. And I think to myself, God is trying so hard just to bring you to this place where you're bowed down on your knees and say, We can't fix it. I can't fix me. I need Jesus Christ in my life. And so that that's really what's going on. Now Picture, picture yourself in the shoes of John John is taking all this in and what we have to remember is nobody has seen this before right this is God saying John I'm going to reveal to you Thus, the title of the book Revelation what is going to happen in this last period of time John is the first human being who's getting a glimpse of what's going on if you're John are you watching this and saying to yourself oh wow what a, oh, what a, boy, we could, we could make this a movie with special effects. and No, you're looking at this, and remember who John is. He's the last surviving apostle on planet Earth. He loves people. All he wants is, if, if there's anything I can do with my life, it's to bring just one more person to know Jesus Christ, right? He's watching this happen, and everything inside of him is stirred up to that place where you just, you just want to say to God, God, enough, enough. I can't, I can't watch anymore. Okay? So if you watch carefully the structure of the book of Revelation, what you'll notice is in his grace, God gives John so much and then he stops. And when he stops, he says, Okay, John, I'm going to give you a message now. What you're watching, what you're looking at is very hard to see. Who wants to see demons killing people? Not me, right? And John goes, my goodness. So guys, okay, let's stop for a minute and let, re- let me remind you, John, that while all of this is going on, it's not as though I just disappeared or fell off the face of the, the world. I'm here. I'm present. I have things under my control. So kind of watch this with me. When we read the the very first chapters of Revelation, we read the seven letters to the churches, right? And each church had a word from God, and the word was, I have this for you, these things you're doing well. But remember each church had, guess what else? These things are not going well. I have this against you. Well, after you read those seven letters, if you're John, you just want to say, whoa, whoa, God. What's, what, what's going to happen to the churches? So what happens is we stop. We stop, and God says, come up here to heaven. Remember, John's taken up to heaven, and God says, we're going to look down now, and what I'm going to show you is, all during this period of time, I'm in control. Rest in that, John. Okay? Then it happens again. The very next part of the revelation are the six seals. I mean, we just read the seven letters. What could be worse than that? Well, now we're going to read the six seals. Now these seals begin to get popped open. And every time one of the seals breaks open, what happens? Disaster on planet Earth. That that natural disaster begins to take place. A fourth of the Earth is destroyed. And so John says, my goodness, stop. So guess what? God does. He stops. After the sixth seal, He stops, and he says, I'm going to show you. There's one more seal, John. There's the seventh seal. But before we open that thing up, I'm just going to take you, and I want to show you I am in control. Hell cannot prevail against my church, right? And so he stops, and God gives him a little bit of a break and shows him, guess what? I'm in control. Notice the exact same thing happens with the six trumpets. All right, so last week, we finished looking at the sixth trumpet. By the time that sixth trumpet blows and these demons are killing people, now it's a third of the earth that's being killed every time, right? And John goes, my goodness, stop. So God goes, okay, well, stop. We're going to stop, and I'm going to show you something, John. I'm going to show you that I am in control. Now, just to introduce it, chapter chapter 10, and a part of chapter 11 verses 1 to 14 those two parts are are this stop there where once again god is going to say let me take you up here and let me show you that i am in control that everything for those who belong to me during even this half a time period i will protect you i will be your god You, you are in my hands all right does that make sense okay so with that said, let's, let's dig into this thing and, and kind of see how, how it plays out. Starts off with these words. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun. And his legs, just kind of picture this angel in your mind. His legs were like pillars of fire. And he had a little scroll open in his hand. All right. Let's stop there for just a minute. Here's here's John. God says we're going to stop for a minute. I want to show you something that that I I God am in control even during this half a time period. So so the first thing he sees is this this mighty angel. And a question that people ask or have asked over time is who in the world is this mighty angel? And here's why we ask it. If you take your if you take your Greek Bible and you, you look at the word for the mighty angel, the word that's used here is Iskaron, all right? And we literally translate it mighty. And here's the interesting thing. Angels you're going to see all throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, God using them as his, his hosts, right? But the only place, the one and only place that the word "Iskaron" or "mighty" is used of an angel is right here. It's the only place. So it causes people to step back and say, "Okay, so this mighty angel, who is he?" Some different theories out there. Not that it matters all that much, but some different theories that are out there. If you go back into Jewish literature, uh, and remember with me, the Jews, the Jews are really strong in what we call angelology they paid a lot of attention to angels Um, in in America we pay a lot of attention to angels too but we draw them like cartoon characters you know valentine cherub kind of deal in the old testament the Jews said no no we know what angels are angels are are warriors of God they they lived it out and watched uh, battles where angels would wipe out an army I mean in seconds and they saw the supernatural take place in front of them, okay? Through Moses, they understood what the angel of death was. You know, God said, I'm going to take, take the most powerful nation in the world. I mean, Egypt was. With an army that no one can stop, right? And I'm going to bring it to its knees. Let's see, how many angels will I need to do that? Mmm, One. You come here. When I give you the signal, kill every firstborn. And so when Israel experiences that and watches what God does, they take angels quite seriously. So when it comes to this 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 text, okay, we ask, well, who 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 is this angel? Well, remember the the converts, the Jewish converts, into Christianity, would have that background of understanding angels, and many of them would say, well, we think that this this angel is Gabriel. It's probably the only archangel that we we recognize, right? Why Gabriel? What does the name mean? In Hebrew, Gabriel, right? Gabriel, mighty. El, God. The mighty one of God. And so they would say, we think that the angel that we're looking at here is an archangel sent by God to give this message to John, all right? There are others, writers, who go back into the Old Testament, and this is kind of interesting, suggest that potentially this mighty angel is what we might refer to as a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, okay? So does does Jesus, who is... um, Becomes visible and, and touchable and, and human at his incarnation, does he ever appear in the Bible prior to becoming um, a human being? well obviously he 's present at creation he 's the one who creates uh, we know that he 's present in all that God does, but there, there are some kind of interesting sections of scripture where people think, I wonder if that's I wonder if that could be like a pre-incarnate person of Jesus Christ. Um, so where does that idea come from? Well, it comes from, from the book of Exodus, and it comes from some of this, this language here. Uh, if you notice some of the features of the angel, all right, just kind of look at, at him. He is wrapped in a cloud, okay? Well, who gets wrapped in a cloud? I mean, God gets wrapped in a cloud on Sinai when the commandments are given, right? Um, we would see. This cloud-like God appearing in the temple when the temple is dedicated, but who is it that is wrapped like a cloud? Well, Jesus. Remember in First Thessalonians chapter four says, "When I come back, I will come on the clouds." Right, and so you have this idea. Well, okay, he's, he's got clouds around him. Secondly, notice his his face is like like the sun; he's reflecting. Where does the sun symbolically re- re- reflects light, right, is what he's doing. And so he's a reflection of God. Um, he, he has a rainbow over his head. Well, when, did, when have we seen that before? If we go back to, uh, you know, chapter 4, verse 3, when, when the letters are being written to the churches, you know, one of the pictures that we had of Jesus was this picture of this Jesus with a rainbow over him. Uh, and then his legs are like pillars of fire, right? So where do we see that in the Bible? Let's turn over to a couple of these Exodus chapters, which kind of point to the possibility that the angel Iskaron, or the mighty angel, is, is a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Exodus chapter 3 is where we'll look, and then we'll go over to Exodus 13, Okay, so Exodus chapter 3. This will be familiar to you. The burning bush. Okay. <clears throat> the burning bush. And he's not talking about Jeb. Okay, it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now this is interesting. This is, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Okay? I always like, this is one of my trivia questions for confirmation students. I'm like, remember the burning bush? Yeah. What was the fire? Why didn't it go out? All fire goes out. It consumes that which it, it uh, uh, burns and then it extinguishes. Why does it continue to burn? It's an angel. It's the angel of the Lord. That's the fire in the bush. Okay? It says, He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near me. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father. Well, some people kind of put that, that together, that you've got this angel in the bush, and then you have God's voice coming out of the bush. Some people try to put that together and say, well, was, was the angel, was the angel actually, again, this pre-incarnate Jesus Christ or God now speaking to Moses, All Right? Let me show it to you one other time. Go to Exodus chapter 13. This one I think is a little bit more clear, 13 is. Now we're, we're in the Exodus. And again, this will be fairly familiar to you, but I just want you to, to pay attention to the words, all right? So <clears throat> go to verse... Um, mm, yeah, go to verse, seven, go to verse 17. We'll just read this, this section. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. The people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will visit you, and you will carry my bones with you from here. They moved on from Sakoth They encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Now notice these words, verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel by day and night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Okay, so just look at those words in 21 again. And the Lord, is it capitalized in your Bible? Why is it capitalized? Would you capitalize the word Lord if it were simply an angel? No. So there's this sense in which there are those who postulate that. Did you notice the similarity, though? Clouds, fire. What do we have here in chapter 10? Clouds. Fire, so there's some who po- you can see the, why they have, I postulate this. That that well, maybe what we're looking at here is this pre-incarnate representation of Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm just going to give you my opinion, and then I want to really get to what what it what does it mean, and then we'll move on. Opinion um, over the years with both Melchizedek, who, who we won't get into. It's a separate story. With, with that figure of the New and Old Testament, the question is raised, is that Jesus? And with this angel, the mighty one. The idea that, that Jesus appears in, in a you know, pre-body form as an angel, I shy away from. I tend to suggest that this is literally an angel. It's a mighty one who reflects God and reflects Jesus Christ so that the angel takes on the characteristics of Jesus Christ namely the cloud and the fire. The reason I do that is because there was a period of time in history, remember when the book of Hebrews was being written, where the, the church tried to actually turn Jesus into an angel. And the theory of it was people at that time were under persecution. They didn't want to get killed for their faith. And so rather than saying we worship Jesus Christ, there were Christians in the period of time that the book of Hebrews was being written who said, well, we'll just make him an angel. And part of their evidence for that was this text. The Lord went before them in this pillar of cloud. So Jesus is just an angel. I shy away from that and would suggest that Jesus is never just an angel, right? Angels are messengers of someone. And so it would make sense to me that this mighty angel is pro- probably is an archangel that is representing who Jesus Christ is and pointing to all of his characteristics. The thing not to miss is what what is the significance of the symbolism here? Why, Why is he being shown to us, this angel, as having the cloud feature, as having the pillars of fire legs? Why? Well, here's the message. Don't miss this one. What was going on in the Old Testament when the cloud and the pillar Went before Israel. They were being taken out of what? Captivity. And they were going into the promised land. Okay. What's the message of Revelation? Half a time. You are in a period of what? Wilderness. Something that's never been before. When Israel was in the wilderness. Was it a good time for them? No. Painful period. What did God say? I'm taking you out of the wilderness. I'm leading you into, right, the promised land. Isn't that the message of Revelation? It's part of what I think God is trying to say to, to John here is, John, you've now seen these trumpets blow, six of them. The last one, I unleashed these demons to kill people. Now, before you get all worried, look, come up here and look at this. Let this mighty angel come and say something to you. Just look at him. What does he look like to you, John? Oh, he looks like, he looks like the, the, the angels that were leading Israel out of the wilderness into the promised land. Yes, John. Guess what I'm getting ready to do? I'm leading my people out of this broken world into my promised land. And so it's part of the message of the revelation here is just in the appearance of this angel, and his features are important because they're really saying to John, John, hang on. This, this half a time will be hard, just like the wilderness was really hard for my people, but I'm leading you out of it, and I'm taking you into the promised land, all right? So I think that's really why we see the symbolism uh, in the way that we do, all right? Now, notice the other thing about the angel. He is holding a scroll. What kind of a scroll? A mighty angel holding a little scroll, right? Right? Why little scroll? Okay. Remember when the seven, the seven seals uh, were unbroken, right? The, the scrolls that was represented there was representative of the entire period of history leading up to the end of time. Little scroll would be what? A very focused period of time. Right. So the little, t- little scroll, why little? Because this, what he's showing, John, is I'm talking to you about that half a time period. I'm talking to you about a very specific period of time, not the whole of it, this part of it. Okay? So that's why this angel has a little scroll uh, in his hand. Notice the next thing that the angel does. This is important. He set his right foot on the sea, and he set his left foot on the sea. The land. He called out with a loud voice like a lion that is roaring. Okay. Left foot, right foot, sea, land. What are we talking about? The one who has the little scroll, who's talking to you about this specific period of time during which I'm going to lead you out of the wilderness into the promised land, that one, is a God who has total. Dominion. Don't miss this. What What is chapter 10 meant to do? It's meant to bring peace to John. It's meant to bring peace to those Christians who will have to live in the last time. And what is it meant to say? God has complete dominion during this period of time. He is not. He is not being overcome. It will feel that way. If you were alive on planet Earth and demons are killing people, you're saying to yourself, where is God? God says, I'm right here. Foot on the land, foot on the sea, total dominion. I'm taking my people out and into the promised land. That's what this little period of time is about. That's, what, that's the, the message that John has given uh, to him at this point. Okay? So um, that's, that's really what's being signaled, is that we've got this uh, um, God who has complete dominion. This should not be surprising to the original hearers of uh, the Revelation because when you go back into the Old Testament, um, particularly in what the, the Hebrews called the kathavim or the writings, you kind of get this thread all the way through it that during, during periods of, of difficulty, God is still God. He's still in control. Okay? One of my favorite psalms that kind of points to this is the 72nd Psalm. I'm just going to have you flip over there with me and, uh, and, and look at this. I won't spend too much time on it, but you, you'll get the idea. When a, when a king would be made king in Israel, they would have a big ceremony, right? And uh, you would have the anointing of the king, and you'd have the proclamation and the coronation of the king. Psalm 72 is considered to be one of the songs or hymns that would be sung by the the body of of God on earth when a king was becoming king. And kind of notice how it points to this idea that God has total dominion over his enemies even during difficult periods of time. I'll go through it fairly quickly, but just look at it. He says, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness. Starts off, um, Solomon does by pointing to the righteousness that we have in who? Jesus Christ. Go to verse 3. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor and of the people and give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. Guess what? There'll be a time when the sun and the moon will be no more until then fear the Lord may he be like rain that falls on mown grass we're cut down and people look at you and say you'll be no more and the rain comes and the grass comes back up may he be like that like showers that water the earth in his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound to the moon be no more notice that again That already in the Old Testament, there was the idea that there'll come a day when even the moon and the sun will be no more. Here it is. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. He is in charge. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands Render him tribute. May Sheba and Seba bring gifts. He's pointed to pagans and he's saying, may all of those come and bow down before the one who is king. Remember what Paul eventually says? At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow. May all the kings fall down before him and every nation serve him for he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak. Go to verse 14, from oppression and violence, he redeems their life and preciouses their blood in his sight, okay? So um, really, when you go through the Old Testament, you see this theme over and over. John is hearing it, and he just sees it right away. Bam, bam, See, earth. I've I've got time in my hands. I'm in control. I'm delivering you, and I am the one who will finally take my enemies, And the the great enemies of mankind that still remain right now. The devil, you can't defeat him. Only God. And he has with a cross. Our flesh, it fights against us, our flesh. Death. And you know what the Bible says? When the end comes and the sun and the moon are no more, our enemies will fall. And all three will be defeated. We will be given new flesh. Satan will be under bondage. All of his fallen angels and those who belong to him under bondage. And death itself will become the footstool that God puts underneath his lazy boy and pulls back the chair and sets his feet on him and says, Death is no more. And that is what we're being delivered from. Okay? All right. Let's let's stop there.